I want us to continue to look into the return of Jesus. Um, we spend quite a lot of time on it as well. For those who are with me on a Wednesday evening, we go a little bit more detail uh, into the return of Jesus, focusing on the book of Revelation at the moment. But I just want to recap very quickly what we are looked into. We talked about how we have seen a changed world with many agendas in place. And it did raise the following question to us, are we in the end time spoken by Jesus and the prophets through the Bible? Most, believe, be, most people believe that we are in the end time. I truly believe that we are actually looking at the last leg uh, in that sense of human uh, history. I don't know about you, but as I mentioned it, there are specific key events that are going to take place that most of the world, the whole world will experience uh, in that sense. The number one I mentioned is about the rapture of the church, which I'm probably going to touch a little bit on this morning. Found in the book of 1 Thessalonians 4, 16, 17, which says this, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are let will be caught up together with them in a cloud to meet the Lord in the air. The other key event that I mentioned was the invasion of Magog against Israel found in the book of Ezekiel chapter 38. We may do a study at some stage, but it's not the time for now. We also speak of the other event, the arrival and the reign of the Antichrist, which is also known as the beast. It will come, set up a one-world government, and will subdue the whole world to take on his mark and on his system. He will rule for seven years before Jesus' return with the Son. Those are things that we need to be well aware of and to begin to speak to our people as well, that there will be a man that will come here, that will take over. The whole world will literally will give him allegiance to take power and have dominion upon every tribes of the world in that sense. They will also, the Lord will also pull out his wrath upon the earth through cataclysm. We're speaking a lot on the, at the moment on Wednesday evening in Revelation chapter 6 and, and so on. Then we will be the battle of Armageddon when the people of the world will join against Jesus and ascent in Armageddon. They will fight, but they will be defeated at the second coming. And then that will be the end of human history as we know it will end there. And the reign of God will begin with the millennial kingdom, which will last it for a thousand years. You know, in Revelation 24 says this. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. And I saw the soul of those who had been beheaded because of the testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast of its image and had not received a mark on their forehead. On their hand, they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. That it would be a literal thousand years when God will establish his kingdom on the earth. There will be peace, no more war, no more sorrow. Anything that we experience today will not take place during the millennium kingdom. It will be a total utopia on this earth. And Jesus will establish this with all the saints in that sense. And then after the thousand years, Satan has been bonded in hell, will be released for a season. 
it will again gather people of the world to rebel against God. After living a thousand years on the earth, people, the, the, the earth will be repopulated and they will rebel against God and God will destroy them completely and put them all in a lake of fire. Then there will be a new earth and a new Jerusalem. So we need to rejoice of what's coming to us because whatever you are going through at the moment is not going to last. And I'm telling you this. Now, the last few months, we looked into how do we prepare for his return. And I mentioned a few key elements here. Number one, I spoke about faith. And I says this, faith is the ability to believe. And I even says that faith is simply having the confidence that the future things God has revealed in his written word or to you that a prophetic word of revelation will come to pass. That's basically what it is for you believing. Secondly, we mention obedience and trusting. And I spoke a lot about trusting in a process. You know, when God do something, the process can be quite painful at times. But we've got to trust in a process in that sense. The word Proverb 3, 5, 6 says this. Truth, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. Number three. I spoke about letting God do his thing, or as a Jamaican, we say, let God do his thing, you know, in that sense, and know that he is Lord. And I really emphasize that sometimes God's giving us a word of prophecy, and we get very excited when the prophet come and give a word. But sometimes this word takes a while to take place, and we look into different examples as well. You know, Jeremiah 29, 11, 14 says, For I know the thought that I think towards you, says the Lord, thought of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search me for me with all your heart. You know, there's a promise, God, that when we seek him, when we look after him, we will find him in that sense. And last time, I think that was last month, I spoke about number four, which is a very important. It's about knowing Jesus. So I've gone it very, very quickly because I want to spend some time speaking about today, which I believe this is a word that the Lord has given in my heart over the last few weeks. And it's been very emphasized this week that I begin to speak on it. I don't know if I will have the time to finish. What I want to do as well is, obviously, if I feel the Spirit lead me, I want to begin to prophesy on people. But after the service, if you need prayer or if you need a prophetic word, then I will be next door here to give you a word if God's allow me to. This is why he told me to do this morning. So I just try just to be obedient to his word. So today, we are going to talk about the parable of the ten virgin. This is a very amazing story. Um, and I not spoke about it a while back, but I really want us to begin to speak about it because I truly believe that we are in the last days, I would say. You know, for God, a day, a thousand years, doesn't matter. But for us, the season that we are now, this is the last leg. You know, people say it's the end game. And I'm telling you, it's the end game for us. You know, the Lord has really spoken to different prophets as well. 
He spoke it to my heart, said to me, I am, com I am coming quickly. Prepare yourself. And that is very important. So today I want to talk about watching, prepare, and be ready. Let's turn to Matthew 25 from verse 1 to 13. And we're going to read it together. So Matthew 25, verse 1 to 13, if it's on the screen, thank you. It says this. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight, a cry was heard. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answer, saying, No, lest there should be not enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterwards, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, As surely I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Amen. This is a very, very, very sobering word that Jesus is giving us. Now, I don't know if you remember last, last month I spoke about Jesus 24. We've got four disciples, Peter, John, James, and Andrew. They're on a month of leave with Jesus, and they're asking those questions. You know, Jesus looking at the temple, and he says this, Do you not see all these things? Surely I said to you, not one stone shall be left here upon one another, that shall not be thrown down. He's telling them that the temple that they actually seen, this beautiful temple that they're watching on the Mount Olive, will be no more. So the disciples come and ask Jesus, you know, and they ask it three questions, three key questions. Found in number chapter, uh, Matthew 24, verse 3, he says this, tell us, number one, tell us when these things be. Then what will be the sign of your coming and then the end of the age? So what Jesus does, he gives them the longest answer recorded in the Bible. It's a detailed prophecy of end times. He's teaching the disciples about what's going to take place in the later days. But what he does, Jesus, not only he gives the information in, uh, in chapter 24, he also gives them the application, how to apply the information that's given to them which we are going to look with the parables, the different parables that go such as the parable of the wise and the foolish version, the parable of the talent as well. Now, 
before we go into deep into the scripture, I just want to give you a little bit of a background in relation to the Jewish culture and wedding culture. You won't be able to understand the scripture if you don't understand the relationship between the Jewish culture and wedding culture. In those days, Jewish marriages were arranged. They were arranged. So it's not like us today, we can marry whoever we want to a certain extent. They were arranged, and they were actually arranged by the father. So the father will arrange the wedding in those changes. So those marriages were set up. So what will happen? The father will, will come together. They will begin to negotiate. So there will be like a negotiation. They will settle on the price of the bride, in that sense, based on three things. Number one, they will base it on the father's wealth, whether the father was poor or rich. They will base this as well on the bride's worth. And listen, this is not when they say she's worth two million or five, ten million. Those was a bad, she may be worth a chicken or maybe a cow. So this is how they were negotiating back in those days. And also, they were based on a groom's work depending on if the family of the groom was poor or rich. So what would happen? The parents, the dads, they would negotiate the price of the bride. They will basically look at it. They will say, okay, she's worth three chickens, maybe four chickens. And they will negotiate the price. And then the groom will have to work. He will have to go to work to make sure that he has the right amount to be able to marry the girl. Number two, there was a period of time, we call it the betrot or the exposal time. And you see in Matthew when Mary, the story of Mary and Joseph, when they were betrothed, these two. This is a time where they are married, but not legally. They haven't come together in that sense. I think you guys know what I'm talking about here. So I'm not going to go in detail. So during that time, the groom would go and work. He will grow and work in his father's house to prepare a home for his bride. And one day we're doing this, the bride will be at home. They will be preparing the dress and they will be making sure that everything is ready for the wedding. It's very interesting because as I was looking into this, this Jewish tradition and taking notes of it, it reminded me of the scripture in John 14, 2, 3 says, My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also be where I am. So, is that tradition and pitching up the, the story based on the power of the wise and the foolish version, we've got the groom, they set all the price, is out there in his father's house and he's preparing a room, it could be a house. And what would do, the bride would, from time to time, she would check on the progress of the house. So she would check whether the windows has been put up or the door has been done or so on. And that's what they would do. So during that period of time, that year period of time, that's what they would be doing. The other thing, which is a very interesting, is those who got married, we send invitation. You know, we book the date and then we get it ready. In those days, there was no date set, no time set. So the groom could come at any time. And that was the custom. They could come at any time in that sense. So 
When we're preaching the story of the virgin, the wise and foolish virgin, unless you understand the Jewish tradition, you wouldn't be able to understand what Jesus is trying to say. And remember, a parable is really getting something simple, a message, a key message simple. And only as a Jewish person you would understand as you read those scriptures that is the relationship between a traditional Jewish marriage and what Jesus is trying to say here. So, what would happen is at any moment, the groom will come, there will be a cry, there will be a loud say, the groom is coming, the groom is coming. And the bride, the bridesmaids, the lady, they'll be ready, they will have their dress ready, everything ready here, and they will go to the groom. And at that time, they will sign the contract under the stars in the night, and they will have a party celebration for seven days. Now, our wedding was a beautiful wedding, you know. Melanie used to sing a song, the heaven, the, the, heaven, the heavens open, you know. Listen, you said that. Even some of our guys, non-Christian, still remember that moment where she sang, and there was this mighty wind that just swept through the whole celebration. But it lasted for about, what, four or five hours? Four or five hours maximum. In Jerry's tradition, a wedding takes seven days. And the father has to pay for it. So they have to feed people for seven days. Have to have a party for seven days. I thank God I'm not Jewish, you know, in that sense. So this is what happened. So when Jesus said, then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lambs and went out to meet the bridegroom. He's basically saying, the virgin represents the church. The bridegroom is Jesus. And what an interesting thing. There were 10 virgins. 50% of the virgin were wise and 50% were foolish. The church could also be the congregation in that sense. Now, the Greek word for foolish is moros, M-O-R-O-S, when you, the word moron comes from as well. And it's basically, I'm just saying what it says. Those, those virgins were like moron. They were foolish. No wisdom. Jesus is really speaking to us to be ready and prepare. And there was a problem here with those foolish virgins. They knew the custom. They knew what they needed to do. They knew it. They were not ignorant to it. But for whatever reason, something was missing. He says this in verse 3. Those who were foolish took their lamp and took no oil with them. Jesus here, the oil that is speaking here is the Holy Spirit. He's speaking of the Holy Spirit. And the interesting thing, and I'm sure we all experience this, we are true believers in a church with the oil of the Holy Spirit. And we're foolish believers here, dispected by Jesus. They have the knowledge of Jesus, but they don't know him. The relationship. They have the religion, but they don't have the relationship. 
And this is what Jesus is saying to us in the scripture. I don't want you religion. I want you relationship. That's what he wants from us. He wants from us the relationship. And the sad story about those foolish versions, they were unprepared for what was coming. Jesus wants us to prepare for what's coming. He wants us to prepare for the future. This is going to be a world that's going to change dramatically over the next few months and the next few years. We already experience this. We experience over the last few years, how many changes have we seen in this world? Tremendous changes. From COVID that's paralyzed the whole world, and we're not back to the way we were before. And there is still things that's been adding on to it. Now we're having the situation between Russia and Ukraine when they are fighting for territory. And I'm telling you, this is just the beginning. This is just the beginning. But the Lord wants us to be ready and prepared. We are so unprepared for what is coming. We are so unprepared for the return of Jesus. We are so unprepared for the rapture. The Lord this week was speaking to me. And he said, prepare my people for I am coming quickly. And I have to ask him, Lord, what do I need to do? What do I need to do? What do we need to do in this season? What do you need to do in this season? You have to ask him. You have to ask him. It doesn't matter whether you are 65 years old or 10 or 15. You've got to start asking the Lord, what do I need to do now? Because this rapture will come. And when it comes, it will take the people that are wise. And the wise ones are those who are filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, the foolish ones did not have oil. When you're born again, you are filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit come and live inside of you, and you are filled with the Holy Spirit. So every believer is filled with the Holy Spirit. But you've got to be Spirit-filled. There is a difference between feel of the Holy Spirit and be Spirit-filled. You've got to ask Every day, Lord, fill me, fill me, pour out on me, pour out on me, fill me. It is so key. It is not about knowledge. It is about relationship. It is about knowing your Jesus. Know him. Can you today say confidently that I know you, Jesus? I'm still asking this question myself. Do I know Jesus? I'm not sure whether I can be saying confidently that I know my Jesus. I want to be there. I want to be in a position when I know my Jesus, that no matter what the situation, no matter what the circumstances, I know he's here. I know he's here. I think this is what the difference between the early church and who we are today. They did not compromise. They knew that Jesus even Peter, that denied Jesus three times, when he was restored, he never looked back. Paul, that uh, used to be uh, Saul back in the days, before he turned to Paul, he used to persecute Christians. But he was very ferocious in persecuting Christians. 
But when Jesus met him on the road to Damascus, he turned his life upside down. The Lord wants us to be sold out for him. There is no other way. We can't be one there and another way. We can't be say yes to that Jesus, and when the problem comes, we're doing something else. Or we're trying to find another solution to our problem. To be spirit-filled is to allow the spirit of God to completely take control of us. Every area of our heart, every part, have to belong to Jesus. Listen, I raise my hand. There's part of my heart that I haven't given it to him yet. I'm working on it. Please, wait. Don't come now. It says this, Ephesians 5.18. Do not get drunk on wine which lead to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. We've got to continually ask the Holy Spirit to fill us, to fill us, to transform us. And you've got to give everything to Him. Everything. Everything. I said everything. We can't continue like that. We can't come and sit down in church and just enjoy Melanie just singing and moving around or Nikki playing the, the, the bass. Or even us sharing the word. We need more. Listen, this we've been here for 10 years. And I've got to be honest. We need to be filled, spirit-filled. You know, we need to be spirit-filled so we can influence this community. They need to see miracles. Listen, they're not going to come here when you say, Jesus loves you. They're not coming. They're not going to come. They need to see the power of God in this place. They need to see a true power of God. And we are all believers here. The power is in us. It is in us. And Jesus is waiting for us to partner with the Holy Spirit to release that power. You go to work and the person tells you, I've got cancer. And you just lay your hand on him and you say, be healed in the name of Jesus. And the whole thing just goes. Do you think he's not going to come to Jesus? He will. Because he will see the power of God. Somebody has a very problem in his family. In his, his, his marriage going down. He doesn't know what to do. And you just pray and bring the word of wisdom with the word of knowledge. Do you think he's not going to come to Jesus? His marriage is completely restored. He will come to Jesus. This world today needs miracles. They need the power of God. We are the light. We are the light of the world. But we need to be spirit-filled in essence. We should not be content just being saved. Just saved is, you know, it's not enough. It's not enough. We need more. I want more. I want more. You know, Marcia spoke to me this week and she said, the Lord said to me that you have been called to be a prophet to the nations. And I think for years I've been kind of doing this. Yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. Yeah, give a word, a prophetic word to somebody and, you know, great. But I want more than that. You know, I want more than that. 
I need God's power upon my life. I need God's power upon my life. I need the Holy Spirit to completely take control of my life. If it is you, I want you to stand with me and we're going to pray into this. The Holy Spirit clearly me said this morning, I want to pray for those who want to be spirit-filled. You can raise your hand, you don't have to stand up. But those who are spirit-filled, the Lord wants to use us, but we need to give him everything. Everything. There's no other way. He wants all of us not 90%, not 95. He wants 100% of us so he can use us. Lord, I stand here this morning with my brothers and sisters. And I raise my hand to you, Lord. And ask you, Daddy, we want you to fill us completely. We want to completely be saturated by you. Not only by your presence, but by your power. Lord, we ask you this morning to touch our heart, to release that oil, that oil upon us so we can begin to do the work that you have set before us. And Lord, I also pray for those. As we preparing, I pray that we would be like the wise version, having enough oil to stand the time. For your word said, nobody knows the hour, nor the day of your coming. But Lord, I pray that we will be ready, prepared, and watchful in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.